0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving. Glad that you're here on this Thanksgiving weekend. In my mind's eye, on Christmas Eve, I, I see a single Special Forces commando Hurling out of a B-52 Out of the bay doors of a B-52 About 30,000 feet up in the air Hurling through The darkness of midnight While the enemy sleeps While Satan sleeps This young commander Is sent Behind enemy lines and almost like a paratrooper who might hurt himself when he lands, or a young commando who lands who has never had really any true assault or maneuvers toward an enemy. I see in my mind's eye this young, really young infant being sent behind enemy lines with this seemingly impossible mission. Go and begin a counter-rebellion to reclaim everything that belongs to the Father. Well, that's what I see at Christmas Eve. A picture of one who is sent to begin this counter-rebellion. What if we saw Christmas From the edge of heaven, from heaven's perspective. How much different would it look than our traditions of Christmas, than our understanding, our thoughts, our personal memories of Christmas? How different would Christmas look if we could see it from heaven's perspective? And the Bible does give us, fortunately, a lot of very unique places where we can see the very first Christmas from the perspective of heaven, from God's perspective. We saw it last week in the the book of Hebrews. We're going to see it this morning in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation was written by John. It was a written description of, of John seeing Christ. Heaven opened up and he saw Jesus. At this time, John was banished to the island of Patmos. He was sent there because there was a great oppression by the Roman government to, to squash, to, to push down this brand new movement of the way. The movement of the people of the way, the, the Jesus followers. So the, the Roman government, they strategized, if we can take out the leaders of this brand new movement, then certainly this new movement will cease to exist. So John was sent, again, banished to this island, away from the influence that he had had on the church there in Asia Minor as a a church leader. And alone on this island, heaven opens up for him. And he writes for us this description of, of heaven and of of Christ and who Christ is and what Christ looks like. Now, the major theme of the book of Revelation, the, the upper story is to remind God's people, to remind you, to remind me that all the pain we go through in life, all the suffering that we go through in life, we can actually see suffering through the vantage point, through the perspective of God. Also in the book of Revelation, we see the timelines of The destiny of mankind, of where this is all headed. We see the picture of this Christ who will return one day. But also, in the book of Revelation, we see heaven's perspective of this very first Christmas. The perspective from heaven's edge of what the very first Christmas looked like. It only occurred 80 years before John wrote this down. Not that long before. And it begins to lift the curtain and it shows John and it shows us what that very first Christmas looked like from heaven's edge. With your copy of God's word, would you go with me, please, to Revelation chapter 12? And let's read this together. Revelation chapter 12 will begin in verse 1. Keep your Bible open. This is the only place we'll be this morning in this chapter, Revelation chapter 12. I know sometimes people open up the book of Revelation and they feel one of two things. Great excitement or great dread. Because there's a lot of symbols and symbolisms and, and signs and sometimes confusing things. So here's a, a first century man riding banished on an island and being received this morning by 21st century people. Who have not been banished to Waco, but we're here in Waco this I hope you don't feel like you're banished to Waco, but here we are in Waco together this morning. So sometimes there's a if you will a lost in translation between a first century author seeing heaven, seeing Christ, seeing the timeline of of human destiny. And you and I are receiving the word this morning. Let's begin in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign, so immediately we come to this sign or this symbol. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. And on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant. And she was crying out in birth pains, the agony of, of giving birth. And so let's stop right there. We're introduced, first of all, to a, a character, a, a, a woman now, Christians throughout the centuries have debated who, who this woman is. And primarily, they've landed in one of two places. One, that this woman is a representation of Israel. Thus, you see on her, on her head these, this crown of, of 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of the nation of, of Israel. There are others who say that it's more specifically not just the Jewish nation, but a Jewish woman Mary the biological earthly mother of, of Christ because she is the one who is pregnant, the one who is crying out in birth pains. And we will discover soon um, the one with whom she is pregnant, the one that she has inside of her that she is, that she is carrying. So a lot of people think either Israel or, or Mary. So if you were to pin me on this, I would say probably Mary. Mary. But possibly Israel. How about that? So that's kind of where I am this morning. It's it's one of those, one of those two. Because later on in this chapter, we begin to see that probably the picture turns to Israel or has been Israel all along. When we begin to see some of the the latter days of what happens to the apple of God's eye, the, the the Jewish people. But let's say that no matter whether it's Israel or Mary, really, it's just one thing. It's the bearer of the Messiah, the one who will bring about or who will send out from this side of of heaven's edge, from earth's edge, the one who will send out the Messiah. So whether it be Mary individually or Israel collectively, it really is the bearer of the promised one, the bearer of the Messiah, the bearer of Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, verse three. And another sign, it appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head, seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So the second character we see here in Revelation chapter 12 is this picture of a really a a grotesque seven headed dragon in these. This dragon had, had 10 horns and on the, on the heads they had these seven diadems or these seven like scepters of authority and of rulership and of, of authority. Now John says right here in verse three, he calls it just as he did in verse one, a sign. So when John writes that, he means it's a symbol of something else or it symbolizes something else. Now here in, in verse three, verse four, we don't have to guess what that red dragon is a sign of or what it is a symbol of because God's word comes and explains it to us In verse 9. And so often the way to understand scripture is to go back to scripture. So look at verse 9. And that great dragon was thrown down. And here we get the description. This is in verse 9. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And so verse 9, John identifies this great dragon as, as Satan, as the accuser. So here is Satan presented as a very real supernatural being who has at his disposal one third of the angels that have been swept from heaven to serve as his minions, to serve as his army, to serve as his demons. And with the crown and the the diadems and the horns, we need to understand this morning, church, that this enemy has power. This enemy, even in in a remote way, has been granted some authority. And so when Jesus was born into the world, here is Satan, here's this dragon and it is waiting to destroy him. So while the angels uh, are singing and the shepherds are watching over their flock and the wise men are traveling to worship, we see right here that Satan is waiting to make his move to destroy. Any first through fifth graders in here that you have a nativity scene at your house? Would you just raise your hand real quick if you have a... I see that. Is that a Roberts kid? Why don't you come up here real quick? Got a, got a dragon for you here, bro. This is what preachers do on Good Friday. We go and buy dragons. We get up really early in the, in the morning time. So what I'd like for you to do is take this dragon. This is actually, do you know who this dragon is by chance? It's toothless, is it? From How to Train Your Dragon. That's what I thought it was. So I know it's not red. And I know it doesn't have any crowns. And really when you call a dragon toothless, it seems to kind of take away some of the power of it. But what I'd like for you to do is to talk to your dad, Corbett, and your mom, Sarah, and make sure it's okay with them. But I need this dragon to show up in your nativity pretty soon, like this week, okay? So if you'll just take this home. Now, if your grandma or like an aunt is like, what are you doing? Tell them that Mark Weibel gave it to you, okay? So here you go. Awesome, you can take that back to, to Corbett. Corbett, I'd love to see a picture this week of that dragon there in your nativity scene because it was an assault, It was an assault on the devil when Christ came into the world. And so here was the enemy ready to devour this Christ child. You probably know it primarily as well from the gospel of Matthew when King Herod, the puppet of Satan, issues an order for every two-year-old boy in the land to be killed. Why would that be? It was that spirit of destruction upon This Christ child, because you see, even the enemy is aware that his time is limited. And when this Christ child comes, he will crush the head of the dragon, crush the head of the serpent. So here is King Herod and Satan. They are not legitimate rulers. They are not legitimate kings. And they do what every illegitimate ruler and king would do. They're trying to wipe out the competition. Because here comes the Christ child, here comes the Messiah, the, the Son of God, the Promised One into the world, and we see a satanic attempt to stop the mission of God. As the dragon is sitting there waiting to devour, to destroy, to wipe out this Promised One. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. And so she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, the last character we see here in Revelation chapter 12, the beginning of Revelation chapter 12, is, is clearly this child born to this woman. And we see, uh, without any exception, without any variation, this is the Christ child. This is the first Christmas. The Messiah has come. The promised one has come. Now, Revelation, it is rich in its imagery of explaining and describing Jesus. Christ is seen in the book of Revelation as, as the bright and morning star, as the beginning and the end, the, the lamb who who is slain from the foundations of the, of the earth, the lion, the, the, the king, all these different imageries of, of Christ. Because you see, Revelation, first and foremost, is a description, and unveiling of the character of Jesus. That's why it's not called Revelations. It's Revelation. The one, unveiling of the true Son of God, Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, in verse five, you see a, another word that is used here, a descriptor used for, for Christ. He is called the ruler or the one who, who is to rule. This child is described and destined as one who would, who would rule all the nations with the rod of iron. Now the word rule right there in, in verse five is an interesting word in, in Greek. It's the Greek word poim, poimino, and poimino, means to shepherd, which is kind of an odd word to use in the context, that this Christ child who is in the middle of a battle, waged over his life as the dragon, as the enemy is there ready to devour this Christ child, and this, this Christ comes, and he comes with a, with, with a rod iron, and he is ready to, to serve as the king of all the nations, and then it says here he is to rule, to, to shepherd. It seems a little bit out of context, but we see here that Jesus is that kind and tender shepherd, of course, the true God, the true leader who will lead nations to, to peace and lead nations to freedom. You see, a shepherd is is tender, who loves his people, who guides his people. Yet it says here he rules with a rod of of iron, which refers to his power, to his authority. So for you note takers, here's the first thing you can write down this morning. The first thing I wrote in my notes to myself this week to pass along to you. And here it is, this picture of Christ as a shepherd with a rod of iron. We see Christ as both tender and powerful, kind and just. So he has come to shepherd his people. We see in that that shepherding sense that Christ is is tender. As a shepherding sense, Christ is kind. But to balance out the imagery of a kind, loving shepherd, we see the picture of this rod of iron that, again, balances that out. We see the the picture of Christ being powerful, picture of Christ being just. Now, it might be confusing to a lot of us in verse 5 why instantly... John moves from this Christ being born to rule the nations and then is caught up to God. This is actually a picture of, of the ascension of Christ returning to the Father. And this happens a lot in Scripture where in a very compact way, whether it be Paul writing to Timothy or here John writing to, to us, to the church, that we see kind of the comprehensive completion of the work of Christ and so he's he's born and then immediately John has him ascending back up into heaven. This is a way of of bracketing The life of of Christ. And so in in those brackets, we see that the coming of Christ, we see the the, the death of Christ on the cross, we see the resurrection of Christ from the tomb, we see the ascension. And later on, of course, the book of Revelation, actually over and over again, we see and hear of the promised return of Christ. And so John is bracketing the life of, of Jesus, moving immediately from the birth of Christ to the ascension of Christ. Now this vision here of Christmas from Heaven's Edge and Revelation chapter 12 is gonna give us this morning four things. And so again, for you note-takers and you're kind of getting um, amped up in your heart for Christmas, you might wanna write these four things down. These are four insights that, listen, we normally don't see from the gospel of Matthew. And we normally don't see from the gospel of Luke. Four insights that I want us to catch about the first Christmas here in Revelation chapter 12. The first one is this. The first Christmas was a declaration of war it was a declaration of war from heaven's perspective. The birth of Christ was God declaring war on sin, God declaring war on the enemy, God declaring war on death. I know often here in the West, we don't actually or usually associate Christmas with war. We like to associate Christmas with soft, kind, gentle, silent things. The shepherds, wordlessly wondering as they walk through their flocks at night, the silent night, the star at night, we even seeing songs about it, that little baby in the hay, no crying he makes, I bet, I, I know Jesus cried, there's no way that baby did not cry, no crying he makes, we say, why? Because we like silent Christmases, we like quiet, tender Christmases, but that's not the reality. Scriptural reality of Christmas is this. War was declared. As this missionary, the very first missionary sent from God, the Son, Jesus Christ, comes. In the unseen world, highland, all hell broke loose. When Christ came, because God was declaring war on the enemy, the birth of Jesus was the launch of God's assault on evil, death, hell, and Satan. A little sub point to that I thought about this week. I want to pass along to you as well. Jesus' birth creates more than just wonder toward a manger. It creates battle lines toward a war. It was a militaristic move of God to send Christ, his son, to destroy, even make a spectacle of Satan, as Paul told the church of Ephesus. To make a public spectacle of the enemy. And so we see here in this passage, I think clearly over and over again, we'll see it later in chapter 12, later in the book of of Revelation, that when God sent Christ, he he sent Christ to destroy evil and evil is clearly present in our world today. There's no one in this house that would say there's not evil all around us all the time. It was evil that, that prompted men to fly planes into towers. It's evil that allows 650,000 abortions in the US last year. It's evil that that prompts us to be violent toward those who are different or those who are undocumented or those who are on the outside. That's the manifestation of evil. And when God sent his son Christ, it was not just this, this, this meandering toward a manger, it was a movement of battle lines into war. God's assault on evil was to bring Jesus into this world in such an unusual way, such a remarkable way. And this assault eventually would mean the defeat of Satan. And if you're doubting me right now that Christmas is actually about war, with your Bible open there in Revelation chapter 12, just go a few verses down to verse 7. Because I understand, I'm going to get an email this week saying, I brought my grandma to church, and all you talked about was war and battle and blood. And I was ready for silence and lights and candles. let's just go to God's word. Verse seven, now war. Now war arose in heaven. And this is pre-Christmas war. In fact, verse seven, verse eight is pre-Christmas. Verse nine is post-Christmas. Now war arose in heaven and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So picture this struggle of of, of God and good against the enemy and darkness and evil and violence and death. Here's the second thing we see about Christmas from Revelation chapter 12. That that first Christmas brought the legitimate ruler to earth. That first Christmas brought in the legitimate ruler to earth. Jesus was the rightful king from his birth. I purposely skipped this in verse five. I want you to go back in chapter 12, verse five and see a word in there that is so operative. It is so key that every single translation that is in this room this morning has this one word in it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule, and here it is, all the nations. You see, Jesus did not come just as the king of the Jews. He did not come just as the rightful heir of the throne of David. When Jesus came, he came as the king over all kings, the Lord over all lords. He came to rule with, with this rod of iron over all of the nations. And until Jesus assumes his rightful throne, you and I can keep voting for other presidents and other candidates. There will not be peace. There will continue to be violence and hatred and death and shootings. There was one in New Orleans this morning. There will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes and takes his rightful throne. But on that first Christmas, there was a coming, an inauguration, an opening of the legitimate ruler to earth. And only Christ can rule all the nations. Only Christ can shepherd the nations and rule with a rod of iron. Here's the third thing I want you to see. That first Christmas crowned Christ to overcome the power of sin. That first Christmas, again, is the inauguration, the crowning of Christ to overcome the power of sin from heaven's perspective, from heaven's edge. When God sent Christ to the earth, he sent Jesus Christ to overcome the power of sin. So Satan being cast down, did you see it in verse four? Satan being cast down, did you see it in verse nine? There is nothing more to that highland in verse four and verse nine of Satan being cast down than Satan being in the act of being defeated, being lowered, being lessened. And although Satan may still be active on earth, listen, he's marked for collapse. While his violence and his evil and his puppets might abound, he's marked for collapse. And we see later on in this passage, we'll get there soon, that his days are are so numbered. So any opposition that he gives in the meanwhile is just the convulsions of a defeated foe. Let's continue to, to read here in this passage this morning. Christmas was that first step then when that, when that child was born. Verse five is such a beautiful verse. This is a Christmas verse. We don't sing about this. It's probably not on anybody's t-shirts or bumper stickers around on Christmas time. She gave birth. To a male child one who is to rule all the nations the rod of iron she gave birth christmas was the first step of jesus overcoming the power of evil overcoming the power of sin overcoming the, the power of death in our world so again the bracketed life of christ his his birth a life that he lived in perfection his death on a cross for our sins, his resurrection that declared that he is the son of God and also gave us the right to eternal life when he defeated death, then his ascension in view of followers. In fact, he was ascending when he said, I will be back again. The bracketed life of Jesus is what God sent to overcome the power of sin and to overcome our enemy. Only the cross of Christ could do this. Here's the fourth thing. That first Christmas issued an invitation to humanity. Where are you in the Christmas story? Here you are. That very first Christmas, an invitation was issued to you to all of humanity. You see, God is going to destroy evil. That's, that, that's the essence of the book of Revelation. I can wrap it up in that sentence. God is going to destroy evil. But before he wipes out all evil, he's gonna send us an invitation first to say, would you like to have a cure for your sin? Would you like to find life in Christ? so that we don't get swept away when he wipes away everything that is evil. You see, when God sent Jesus into the world on Christmas day, he was offering us an escape from the inevitable, which is the wiping away of everything that is evil and filled with death. This morning, Highland, listen, it's really a call to live under a new government. It's really a call to reorient your lives, to submit yourself to the king of light instead of the king of darkness. It is an invitation to come out of a place of death and into a place of life because the book of Revelation makes it so clear. It is inevitable. Everything that is evil and dark and filled with death will be swept away. And in the middle of that comes the mercy of God, extending an invitation of grace, of rescue and of transfer to every woman, man and child in this place. You see, once you respond to that invitation, once you respond to that invitation, all the other stuff of Christmas begins to make sense. The lights, the generosity, The gifts, the sense of family, the sense of community. Everything else begins to fall in place once you accept that invitation that's being issued to you. You see, otherwise, if you have not stepped into the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus, otherwise, if you're not in Christ Jesus today, all the things of Christmas are actually meaningless. Dry, just tradition until you believe and accept that invitation given to all humanity to find life through Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a warning. John is watching this vision, seeing this vision, writing this down, and there's about to be thunder. There's about to be a loud voice from heaven. And I don't know about you, but I can't sit down when there's a loud voice from heaven, would you stand with me, please, as I read this last song of, rep- of praise that just reflects back on the birth, the death, the resurrection of what Christ has accomplished? Here's the context John is seeing the first Christmas. Eighty years prior to this, he is seeing the first Christmas. And in verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, Christmas, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Christmas, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses us day and night, day and night before our God and they, the people of God have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens. Rejoice, O highland, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. That's the voice of heaven reflecting on Christmas. The authority, the kingdom of God has now come. Would you bow your head with me, please, as we pray together? Oh God, thank you for a glimpse of Christmas from the edge of your throne, from the edge of your home, the edge of your place. We were in darkness and you engaged in a battle and sent your son to begin the counter-rebellion to wrestle away creation and to wrestle away humanity from the illegitimate ruler to give back to your father what rightly belongs to him including the lives of everyone in this house today. Jesus, we praise you, that you came. By your own authority, you laid your life down and by your own authority, you picked it back up again. And it began when war was declared that very first Christmas. It's through that Christ the one who will rule all the nations, we pray. Amen.